the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota. Or... The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Besieged by God. Let's pray. Lord, it's time for you to set up the siege on our city, on our homes, on our lives. I pray that this day you will besiege us until there is a full and complete and unconditional surrender that your name would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that you would have your way. Let the anointing of your Spirit bring forth this word to the heart of each person. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen. We're in a very difficult position. Because each of us has been trained to guard our hearts against God. This guard against God has to be broken down. We break it down by coming into this place in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We break it down by going into our prayer closet and asking for His mercy. We break it down by all of the disciplines of fasting and prayer, the reading of the Word. That's why these things have been given to us, to break down this guard that we were born with against the Spirit of the living God. 
Now, many of us have spent a great deal of our lives building up the guard against God. And so when we want God, we go to our city wall and we shout out to Him and expect Him to be sitting outside somewhere within hearing distance so He can run and get for us whatever we ask Him. Almost like a vending machine God. I'll put my dollar in and I want my Coke out. But this this mentality of guardedness against God makes it almost impossible to hear the words spoken. And so some of you can come week by week. I could proclaim with Jan the gospel over Washington, D.C. But the guard was too high. There has to be a siege laid upon us by God. Now, you recognize that by asking the Lord to besiege you, you are asking for some very radical work of the Holy Ghost. And that's what I'm asking you to begin praying for. That God will besiege your life. He will besiege your family. He will besiege the National Prayer Chapel. And he will besiege Washington, D.C. Now, let's be very plain about what it means to besiege. In ancient times, the armies would gather around a city. They would cut off all source of outside supply. All water, all food, it would all be cut off by armed soldiers who would allow nothing to come in. And the population within would grow hungry. There would be famine. Desperate, desperate famine. Every hidden supply would be brought out of the cupboard. Money would be spent to try to purchase the last few grains of food. Water, perhaps, would be in short supply. People might even begin to die of the famine. And finally, when it was apparent, there was no escaping. The besieging king, terms of surrender, would be sought. And then the the Romans and some others began to devise other means of breaking into a city. The great Masada, the impregnable fortress. The Romans broke in by... Soldiers carrying bags of dirt, dumping it. Bags of dirt, dumping it. Building up a great earthen work until finally they were at the very wall of Masada and broke through. And the defenders committed suicide rather than be taken. To what length will you go to escape the hand of God? How hard does it have to become? Would you even commit suicide to avoid the hand of God? Will you sue for terms of surrender? You see, as long as you're able to live in your beautiful walled city and there is no trouble, there is no reason to sue for peace. There's only a reason to sue for peace 
If your wall is surrounded by the armies and all supplies cut off, and you can no longer live the life you thought you were destined to live because God has you surrounded. Some of you don't know yet that you have been besieged. By entering into this fellowship, your life has been besieged. How do you intend to escape? You recognize that only prisoners escape. Everyone else dies. There's only one way to escape a besieged city. Surrender or die. And so my question to you is, what will it take? I drove by a church this morning. In fact, sat outside for a few minutes and watched as the smoking crew stood outside the doors. I watched as the teens made their pilgrimage to the closest store where they could purchase all of the food stuff they wanted to eat during the worship service. I left that church and drove to another church and sat out front of that one. And there, there was a carnival going on with pony rides for the children. It's time God came and besieged the churches that claim his name. We cannot ask him to besiege other churches and to pass ours by. I read for you the scripture in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. I begin with verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, now let's measure ourselves by this passage of Scripture to see if we have indeed been under siege and if God has been successful in bringing us to surrender. The Apostle Paul is saying, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. Well, let's stop just a moment and ask the question, what might he be speaking about when he says, our light and momentary troubles? Well, what are light and momentary troubles? Driving down the beltway? And I have a flat tire. That's a pretty major problem. Unless, of course, I'm driving down the beltway and the transmission drops out of my car. Now the flat tire doesn't seem nearly as bad. And I'm wondering, how do I replace the transmission in the car, God? Until I'm driving down the beltway and a semi-truck hits my car. Now I don't care about the transmission that's dropped out, and I don't care about the flat tire, but I care very much about this semi-truck that's just mashed into the car. Now I've got real problems, right? Until I have to go in the ambulance to the hospital with two broken legs 
and a concussion and a face cut up on the glass. Now I'm not worrying about the flat tire. I'm not worrying about the transmission that dropped out. I'm not worrying about the car that's been smashed by the truck that's gone over it. Now my whole concern is, doctor, can you save my life? So light and momentary trouble, what's he talking about? Because these terms are very relative. I mean, some of you today are very concerned about your life. How would you feel if your house burned down this morning? Would there be a difference in how you feel about your life? I think so. So we have to read this scripture and then understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about and not simply apply light and momentary troubles to a fly buzzing around our head. What's he speaking about? There's a story that will begin to open this for us. It's found in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. It's one of those stories that I have to keep coming back to in my own personal life because it's against this story then that I begin to measure my commitment and my willingness to surrender to Jesus Christ. Paul and his companions are traveling through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but the Holy Spirit blocks them from going into a specific area of Asia to minister. And when the Holy Spirit blocks them from going in, it's very clear that this is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. We find this in Acts 16, verse 7. They tried to enter into Bithuania, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So if you look at a map later, you'll discover that when they were blocked from going into Bithuania, they turned around and went the exact opposite direction to pray and wait on God. When the Lord tells us no sometimes, He shouts over the wall to us, and we keep going the direction we're going. And it hurts. The siege is on. The Apostle Paul just turned around and went the opposite direction. Okay, Jesus, you don't want me to go there? Fine, I'm headed that way. And now tell me where you want me to go while I'm headed the opposite direction from where I wanted to go. That's surrender. That's surrender. Where my whole direction is suddenly reversed simply because I heard Jesus say, no, don't do that. Don't go there. Okay, I'm not going there. I'm getting away from it. I'm leaving. Watch. Verse 9, let's pick it up. They've gone to Troas, and during the night, Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. Now, I want to suggest something. If when Paul was over here trying to enter into Bithuania, and Jesus said, no, don't enter into Bithuania, had he camped out and said, okay, I know I want to go to Bithuania, and I'm just going to wait here for you to change your mind, God. And where there's a will, there's a way. I'm going to make this work some way. Would he have had a vision from God saying, I want you to go to Macedonia? 
No. God would have been silent. Instead, the Apostle Paul says, okay, you don't want me to go where I want to go. I'm headed the opposite direction. And now while I'm getting away from where I want to go, would you talk to me? Yes, sure, I'll talk to you. Go to Macedonia. That's surrender. When we speak about a city besieged, the besiegement happens because we camp out over here where we want to go. We want it our way. And as long as we're determined to have it our way, God besieges us. And he says, look, would you just get out of there? Oh, but there might be a crack that I could slip through. Think of anyone in the scripture like this. Wasn't there a man by the name of Balaam? God said, don't go. But if I go, I get money. Let me go ask God a second time. Let me go ask God a third time. Okay, go ahead and go, God says. And on the way, God met him trying to kill him. In other words, when God begins to besiege his people, he is besieging us for the purpose of surrender. God doesn't besiege your life just to make you have a miserable life. We're asking God to besiege our lives so that we will come into a place of complete surrender to Him. So that when we're over here where we want to go and the Spirit of God speaks to us and says, don't go there, we quickly turn like the Apostle Paul and we head the opposite direction. And as we're going the opposite direction, the Spirit of God will speak and He'll give specific direction. Go to Macedonia. So immediately, they get ready and they leave for Macedonia. This is Acts, the 16th chapter, the 10th verse. Now, this required an extensive trip. Two days sailing and probably another day at least of walking. They arrive where the Lord has sent them and they go to the Roman colony in Philippi, which is the primary city in that district. In other words, I'm here, and the Lord Jesus says, no, I don't want you here. Paul turned and went the other direction. As he's going, the Lord speaks to him and tells him where he wants him to go. Now I know where God wants me to go. Well, let me go to a tiny little corner where God wants me to go. Let me hide out where I won't be seen and where I won't have to do anything. Let me have some time just to sulk where God sent me because I don't want to be there. Let me have some time to feel sorry for myself because God wouldn't let me go where I knew I could have success. So if I can't go where I want to go and be successful, let me go where God sends me. I'll find some little place and I'll pull the covers over my head and I'll sulk there for a while. That's not what the Apostle Paul did. God said, don't stay there, don't go there. He turned and immediately went to the leading primary city and said, okay, God, I'm here. Now what? Well, watch. They did not go looking for the finest facility in Philippi to hold a series of meetings and send back to the home office asking for financial support. That's the way of the world. Watch what they did instead. 
on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So their first strategy, after they find themselves placed where God wants them, is not to move into action, but instead to begin to find a place of prayer. Have you found your place of prayer? It's in that place of prayer now where Jesus is going to begin to move with provision to do what Jesus has sent them there to do. Now, let's break this down. Paul's going one direction. The Spirit of Jesus says, no, don't go there. I'm stopping you. I'm going to block up the way. There's no way you're going to be able to pull this off. Without even one word, Paul turns around and he heads the opposite direction geographically. And as he is leaving the place where Jesus doesn't want him to be, the Holy Spirit speaks and gives him a vision of a man crying in Macedonia, come on over here to Macedonia. He goes to Macedonia, he goes to the leading city of Macedonia, and the first thing he does in that place is look for a place of prayer. Have you found your place of prayer? Or are you still over there where God doesn't want you to be? Paul finds a place of prayer, and in that place of prayer he finds other people who are also wanting to pray. And now there begins to build fellowship. What if he had gone ahead, even against the word of Jesus, he had gone into that place and said, I know God wants me to proclaim the gospel. This place is my place. I'm going to proclaim it over here in Lithuania. And he had started a church. I can tell you right now that church probably would have prospered. It would have been a very prosperous church. They would have had great music. They would have done wonderful entertainment. But the Spirit of God would have been totally absent. The world would have looked at it and said, hey, now that's my kind of church but there would have been no moving of the Spirit of God in that place. But they would have mistaken their success for the presence of God. I tell you, I'm a lot more comfortable in my prayer closet with a few other people who are in fellowship with me, who are willing to pray, than I am in a place loud with success. I prefer the company of men and women who are willing to pray than to the company of people who want to dance. Because I want to walk under the anointing power of the Holy Ghost, no matter what the cost. And the Lord had to besiege my life for a long time before I was willing to finally call for terms of surrender on this issue. I'm here today because I surrendered. Watch what happens. As they were going day after day, they met a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a woman who was a very successful businesswoman. And this woman accepted the gospel that they shared with her about Jesus Christ. And then she said, If you really believe that I am truly converted, then come 
and take up residence in my home. I have enough room for you. So now their provision is taken care of. They don't sign a lease on a house. They don't go to Giant and buy their own groceries. They are humbled, now receiving from the hand of Jesus what he wants to give them the way he wants to give it to them. Through a woman. The Lord opened her heart, and she poured out what the Lord gave her to give. She was baptized. Now, once when we were going to the place of prayer, I want you to see this. As this new little fellowship that is just being birthed, new converts, they're not being taught to go out in the street and hustle somebody about Jesus. As these new converts are coming into Jesus, they're on their way to pray. And as they're on their way to pray, they get into trouble. Trouble divinely created to achieve God's purposes. There's a slave girl, a fortune teller. And she's always following after them and shouting, hey, these men are teaching the true word of God. Well, Paul did not want the endorsement of demons. And so finally he turns in frustration and orders that demon spirit to leave this girl. And the demon spirit departs. Paul had authority in the spirit. And now the owners recognize that they can no longer make any money off this slave girl's fortune telling. They have lost their money machine. And so now they bring accusation against Paul in verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. To understand, we're beginning to see now light and momentary troubles. We would think that our trouble would be, we have no place to sleep tonight. For Paul, that wasn't even a fly buzzing around his head. He wasn't concerned about that. We're concerned about how do we go and pay for our groceries I've got to have my job. I've got to have my hospitalization. I've got to have all my security. I've got to have my gold MasterCard and my Visa card. I've got to have platinum. I've got to carry $30,000 around in my pocket in credit with Pharaoh so I can take care of myself and my family. Paul's not concerned about those issues. He's where God wants him. And trouble is now beginning to build. But mind you, it's just momentary trouble. It's, it's light trouble. Watch what he defines as light and momentary trouble. The magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten. Light and momentary trouble. Would that be the end of the world for you? I mean, for some of you, it's the end of the world because you can't have the job you want. You can't make the money you want. 
For Paul, light momentary trouble was being stripped of his clothing publicly, hung up with a man beating him, the blood flowing from his back. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And as if this insult were not enough, they command the jailer to guard them carefully. And so receiving these orders, he puts them in the inner cell and fastens their feet in stocks. Light and momentary troubles. No sweat. This is what Paul has come to expect after he surrendered. Now, I'm sharing all of this with you because when you make a decision to surrender to Jesus Christ after he has besieged your life, you need to know how you will probably be treated. If Jesus treated his very most uh, trusted servant in such a manner, and he is no respecter of persons, then what might come your way in terms of a light and momentary problem? You see immediately that there is good reason to guard your life against Jesus Christ. Because if you don't guard your life against him, you might end up losing your life. And of course, Jesus said, if you don't lose your life for my sake, you will not find life. But see, we've made that into a nice little cookie, chocolate chip cookie. You know, it's sweet and it's, it's nice to eat. And we enjoy it. And then we go out and live our regular lives. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to besiege your life. Now guard your life carefully against me, because if you surrender to me, I'm going to ask of you everything. We're, we're talking here in very practical terms about what it means to surrender our life when it is besieged by Jesus Christ. Now, of course, none of you need to surrender. If you can pay the price of a besieged city, you can hang on until all the food is gone, until every possibility for escape has, has gone, and you then don't have to surrender. You can just go ahead and die. Eternally. Or at some point, as Jeremiah said to the city, if you will just surrender and go out, you will live. What will it take for you to go out, leave your palace behind, and enter into Jesus Christ and lay down your wolf nature, lay down your rights? Lay down your money. Lay down everything. And say, Jesus, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? I'm on my way. And when I mistakenly go somewhere you don't want me to go, and you speak to me, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And as I'm on my way, would you please tell me what's next? Yes, Ray, I'll tell you what's next. You're on your way over to Macedonia where you're going to be stripped naked and beaten. Is that all right? No, Jesus, I think I'll go back to my besieged city. Sorry, Ray, that's burned. Think carefully. 
you perhaps could still survive if you hunker down. Now we get the picture. Their backs are bleeding. There are rats in the prison. It's unclean. It's unsanitary. It's dark. It's dank. There's vomit in the floor. Stench is incredible. There are no flush toilets. This is a very unpleasant place to be. It is not some place I would volunteer to go. And in that place, their feet are in stalks. The only way they can lay down is by laying down on those bleeding backs in the filth, which they are not about to do. We find in verse 25 about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners are listening to them. Are people listening to the word you're speaking about Jesus? Or does your word fall on the ground? Is it an empty testimony? Because you're still over here in Bithuania saying, I want my worldly deal and I want Jesus too. All I want is just to be happy. All I want is to keep my family happy. All I want is just to succeed. What's wrong with that, God? Well, the problem is, Ray, I didn't call you to succeed. I didn't call you to be happy. I didn't call you to walk in this. I called you to come over here to Macedonia where I had a job for you to do. Are you willing to get up out of your stuff and go to Macedonia? Well, I'll have to think about that a while. Well, think carefully. Do you understand that for me, what God has done in my life and in Pastor Jan's life, we don't have a life separate from the National Prayer Chapel. Our life is the National Prayer Chapel. What do I mean? The National Prayer Chapel is where God has called us to express Himself to our hearts. So we don't want to be over in Bithuania. We want to be in Macedonia. We want to be where God said to be. We didn't want to come to Woodbridge. I'd much rather be out over at Reston direction where everything is popping and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's not an armpit. You know, I'd like to be over in Springfield where we have direct access and no I-95 to deal with. Now, I can think of a lot of Bithuanias I'd like to move to. But God said, go down here to Macedonia. And so I don't have a life separate from the body of Christ. My life is tied up with your lives. And what troubles me is that this is a place where some of you attend. I live here. No, not in this building, but in the spirit of Jesus, in a call to revival prayer for Washington, D.C., in a vision of what God wants to do in this city, even if it means I get beat up. 
I live in the call of God to call Washington, D.C. to turn from its arrogant sin and humble its heart before God. And the only way I know to get at that is the way the Apostle Paul did. Go down to the river and try to find a place of prayer. And so this place is, first of all, a place where we try to find some way to pray. That's why for an hour before every service, we're praying. That's why Friday night, prayer. Whenever, it's prayer. Waiting for God to make the connections with Lydia. Waiting for God to make the connections with Lydia. Waiting for God to bring together what he needs to bring together so that something can happen in the city of Washington that will bring revival to this city. I live in that. That's my house. Is it yours? Have you moved into the vision of God? Or are you still concerned about Lithuania and the mess you've created over here? Have you ever watched a child in a room unsupervised just make an utter mess of it? Have you ever watched an adult in Lithuania make an absolute mess of it? And then, of course, they can't leave the mess because they've got to clean the mess up. They're responsible. Do you see the the joy and the agony of stepping in to Jesus Christ and beginning to live in his vision and in his word and to settle yourself where he says to settle. Oh, but God, what am I going to do about my husband? What am I going to do about my wife? What am I going to do about my children? What did Jesus say? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. Now, Jesus, what do you want to do about my wife? What do you want to do about my husband? I surrender. I get my hands off of them and I stop trying to manipulate them and make them do what I want them to do the way I want them to do it. Jesus, they're yours. Will you bring us together now? Will you make them surrender? Will you besiege them until they surrender? Some of you need to start praying this for your spouses and your children. God, besiege my children. Hem them in on every side until they make a decision to come out of Lithuania and come to Macedonia. Now, here they are. There's been no revival. All they've been able to do is pray and have a little handful of people come together. And then the first move of the Spirit causes them to be scorned and publicly flogged. You sure you want revival? Are you sure you want revival? The first move of the Spirit is not to put you on stage. It's to make you get a beating. They're singing hymns to God. They're praying. They're waiting on God. And suddenly, verse 26, 
there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. I'd say bondages of sin were broken. Suddenly, in response to the singing of hymns, to the prayers, the Spirit of God falls with awesome power, and all the shackles fall off people. They're free. How long do you think Paul would have to attend locksmith school (laughs) to figure out how to get all those chains off and to slip out quietly when no one was watching? Now, that wasn't Paul's way. Instead, he's simply waiting on God. He's praying. He's watching. He's living in what God has told him to live in. He's suffering light and momentary trouble while he waits for God. And then the Holy Spirit falls with such power that everything is shaken loose in this tough jailer. He's now ready to draw his sword and about to kill himself. Here's Paul. He's praying. He's singing songs. He's listening to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit falls and brings this heathen man to a point of suicide. You understand, his life was suddenly under siege. A siege created by the Holy Spirit. Now, what if we had just taken a snapshot of that picture right there and said, this is what happens when God comes? We'd all say, don't let God come. But that was just the beginning of what happens when God comes. The next part, look at what happens. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then nobody ever goes on and reads verse 32. Let's read it. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. In other words, they told him what it was going to cost to follow Jesus Christ. They explained the gospel to this man. And then he said, I want to be baptized. At that hour that... The jailer took them and washed their wounds. And he and his family, immediately he and his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Well, right now we have a picture. Paul wants to go to Bithuania. God says no. He doesn't question. He just walks away. He says, okay, you don't want me to go there? That's history. Go to Macedonia. He comes to Macedonia. He's stripped. He's beaten. He's put in stocks. And then revival comes. You want revival? If you could have revival with just the prayer part, you might be willing. But revival never comes with just prayer. It also requires a full surrender, a giving up of all of those things I tried to create over in Lithuania, all the money deals, all the cunning cover-ups, 
all the games. These are called light and momentary troubles by the Apostle Paul. We've shared with you one brief example. Let me just read for you several such now. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. The Apostle Paul begins to boast a little bit. He's on the defensive. Let's pick it up with verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? He's speaking here about the cheap grace people. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Wait a minute. 43 times this man has had his clothing stripped from him and he has been publicly whipped. One time could kill a man. But by the grace of God, he would be dead. His back is a mass of scar tissue. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've been, I have known hunger and thirst, have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? In other words, I'm a man just like all of you. I too burn because of my desire for sin. But he's saying, I've gone through all of these light and momentary troubles because I surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, how can all of these life catastrophic events be termed light and momentary trouble? Well, come back with me to 2 Corinthians. And let's read again verse 13. It is written... This is chapter 4, verse 13. I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So there we have it. We can have our Bithuania. We can do our flesh deal. God will not speak to us. The Spirit of God will not fall in power. But we can have a lot of fun. Until God begins to besiege us over here in Bithuania. And say to us, I need you to surrender. I need you to lay it all on the altar. And I need you to go in the opposite direction because I've got an assignment over here in Macedonia for you. It's only going to be light and momentary trouble. If you keep in perspective that this is for eternity. This is for keeps. This is not a game. This is for heaven or hell. Not only for ourselves, but for many others. The National Prayer Chapel is not here for you. You've come to this place for the Spirit of God to use you to do something in this city, not by might and not by power, but by my Spirit. So now you have to answer the question. You are besieged. Will you surrender? Or will you send emissaries out to the enemy and say, Jesus, you shouldn't be besieging me. I'm a good person. I'm doing my best. Just back off and let me make some money here. Back off and let me, let me get along with my boss, God. Don't make any trouble here for me and my family. Now, God, why can't I have it my way and your way too? You're a good guy and I'm a good guy. Let's be best buddies. Do you understand? God's not playing games. God's playing for keeps. For keeps. And so one of the questions I have to ask you is how long can you afford to keep the siege up? How much food do you have tucked away? How much money do you have tucked away? How long can you endure in Lithuania before you surrender to Jesus Christ and say, okay, I want to walk your way. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll say what you tell me to say. I don't care what light and momentary troubles come to my life as long as my eye, Jesus, is fixed on eternal dwellings. As long as I know where I'm going. As long as your love enfolds me and your spirit speaks to me and directs my steps, I will walk in humble obedience to your word. How long can you afford to play with sin? How long can you afford to not have God speak to you? I know some of you are going to leave this place today. You're going to go sit down with your television in Lithuania. And you're going to try to escape this word that's been spoken. Some of you won't even wait that long. You're going to get in your car and put your CD in. You're going to turn the radio on. You're going to do anything you can to try to get these words out of your mind so that you can just rest in Lithuania. Some of you are going to go back to the drug of habit, whatever that might be for you. For some of you, your drug is work. For some of you, your drug is 
music. For some of you, your drug is entertainment. For some of you, your drug is smoking. Whatever your drug is, you'll run quickly back to that and be comfortable. I speak this way to you not to be angry or not to be harsh, but because I know there has to be a different kind of people who are willing to stand up and surrender to Jesus Christ and stop making a mockery of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. What is going on today in the churches of Washington, D.C. is a mockery of Jesus Christ. It is a sham. And it's time for a people to get serious about God and to begin to cry aloud to Him and surrender and get out of Bithuania and move on to Macedonia and pay the price, whatever it is. Paul was not beaten in every city. In some cities, they simply received the word with joy and gladness. But that was the exception and not the rule. I can tell you right now, Washington, D.C. is not going to accept with gladness the word we're speaking. Your family will not accept with gladness the word that is being spoken. We're too pampered, too spoiled. Life's been too comfortable in Lithuania. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Great joy with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ alone. Life-changing radio. W-